Hello fellow adventurers and welcome to the Nerd Lab, where we transform our gaming passion into incredible game designs and learn how to nerd like a boss. My name is Marvin and I'm an ambitious game designer on my quest to develop a cooperative fantasy card game. For this podcast, my vision is to take you with me on this exciting journey. Together we will explore the secrets of different game mechanics and reach the next level as a game designer. So I have been asked several times um, yeah, which game design projects I'm personally working on. And yeah, sometimes I mentioned uh, them here on the podcast. Um, but today I would like to take the opportunity to present one of my projects in more detail. And um, since this is not a solo project, but a cooperation with another designer who is, yeah, to be honest, much more talented than I am, um, I thought it would be much better if we present the project um, yeah, together. And that's why I invited Christian Kudal today, um, the designer of Unleash and my uh, current co-designer in the, in the project we call um, Dualist. So hello, Christian, and welcome to the show. Hi, Marvin. Thanks a lot for the very nice introduction. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, we are happy to have you as well. And um, as you know, um, as also uh, being a long-time listener of this podcast, um, we like to introduce um, the guests uh, to the to the audience so that they know uh, a little bit more about them so would you be so kind to tell everyone um, you know how your journey as a game designer started and um, what you really like about uh, being a game designer sure um, so my name is Christian and I'm from Denmark uh, I started playing hobby board games around 2011 I think uh, 11 12 um and i saw some video on youtube and there was this cool game and started playing got into more and more games and i guess as is the case for many players at some point i also thought it could be fun to try and create my own games um so i think i tried that the first time in 2013 and, and my process would usually be i would make get some idea make like a quick prototype out of paper and I would force someone to try and play it with me, and it would not work at all. And then <laughs> I would get tired of the project and say whatever and throw it in the trash. And then I would repeat that like one year later. Um, so that went on for a couple of years. And at some point, I thought it would be fun to actually try and make something and finish it. And I'd listened to a bunch of podcasts about game design and heard a lot of great tips. And one of the tips I heard was that it's good to start with a quite uh, small and not too ambitious project as your first project. Uh, you know, not something with 500 cards and uh, 20 miniatures. And so I set about to create a simple card game, um, which I did last year. Uh, and I actually got to sign a contract and it's supposed to be published. I don't exactly know when. It's called Unleashed and coming out from White Goblin Games. Um, which is really cool. So another piece of advice I heard was that it's good to cooperate with other designers. Um, you can get a lot of out of that. So I thought, okay, I have to give that a try. And I was a listener of the Nerd Lab, so I wrote to you, Marvin, we started talking. And at some point we, we came up with doing a game together because we have fairly similar interest in these dueling kind of games where you play monsters who fight each other. Um, so that's what we're working on right now. We're calling it Duelist as a very generic working title. Yeah, thank you very much. And yeah, you're probably right. Duelist is 
not the most uh, innovative uh, name for for our project, but I mean, it pretty much describes what we both like: uh, dueling with cards. And um, yeah, that's uh, it's a working title we use. And um, what I also found very interesting is that we you were part of the first um, first mastermind group that we actually yes. started in the Nerd Lab, and um, we. We cooperated there a little bit. Um, you were talking about uh, about your other game, Unleash, and I think it was one or two weeks after you joined the Mastermind Group that you you got the um, the deal with the publisher. So that was the first the first win or success that we really had in our in this Mastermind yes. Group. So, so it, it was, was a, a, a super extreme, start. Extremely successful group there, which uh, really worked immediately. <laughs> yeah. So and yeah, then we 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 we. we quickly realized that we we both like the same kind of games and um, have similar ideas about game design and um, yeah, we wanted to cooperate on a on a game and um, that is how Duelist started. There was some some personal life stuff in the way so it was delayed a little bit but um, finally we, we, we were able to to start uh, working working together and um, yeah to be honest you really came up with a with a major part of the idea for Duelist um, and you presented the the game to me and we played the first round and yeah, I was actually quite quite impressed um, about how good and far the game was already when we played it for the first time. It was uh, pretty different to the kind of um, first prototypes that I uh, produced myself. Um, and yeah, that actually showed right away that not everything we do is, um, is similar. There are also some... Um, differences between how we approach game design and um, that's actually something we wanted to tackle um, today as well because um, yeah I think you are more of a of a painter and I'm more of a, a sculptist so uh, would you mind explaining what I mean by that so that the cust uh, the listeners know what uh, yeah what why you are a, um, a painter and why I'm more of a sculptor sure I'm actually I God, who came up with that terminology, but it's something I heard on a game design podcast. So the idea of some designers like to try out a bunch of crazy things and then cut away the stuff that doesn't work. Like if you take a block of stone, you cut away the stuff that doesn't look like a person and you end up with something that looks like a person. Um, so that's like the sculpture way of doing things. And I would say I'm more of a painter way of doing things. So I... I have a fairly clear vision and I try to start out with quite few things and possibly add a little bit onto that, refine some details, but I have a quite clear view of what I want the project to end up like. Um, I think comparing our styles, I'm more of a, I, I really want the prototype to be quite good already from the first play. So I will spend some time before actually getting it to the table, making it, making sure that everything makes sense, making sure I have clear rules. Um, and I think you are more of an uh, adventurous type who like to try out stuff and say, okay, I have this crazy thing. I'm not sure if it will work, but let's get it to the table. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, absolutely. And um, if I if I compare this to my one of my earliest. Um, prototypes and my first or one of my first play tests that I did with this prototype um, I did a scattershot uh, play test and what I did is I put all of the things I could imagine into the game and threw it at my um, at my uh, play testers um, of course it was a very frustrating situation for my for my play testers 
um, because it was not as as smooth as it could have been. But for me, it was super helpful because I was able to to see what um, what kind of mechanics uh, they liked most, which which worked um, great, which created the most the most fun, and which which didn't. Um, and I would not have been able to um, to get that information if I would not have tested all of it. And so um, I'm willing to um, to put more into the game in the beginning and cut out um, a whole bunch of it um, afterwards. Um, even so, this can be difficult to kill things you really liked about your game. But um, it was really, I would say, eye-opening for me to to work with you because um, it was really helpful to see the other the other approach as well. Um, and I think we. Um, or at least I benefited from it, um, seeing it. And um, I think it's kind of your superpower to always find the the simplest solution for for a problem. So sure, well, um, thank you. Yeah, but uh, that's true. We 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 encountered a lot of um, problems while we were designing the game, and um, I think you were always um, very good at um, finding a solution that is simple, clear, um, and doesn't cause any other problems with the other uh, aspects of the game. <laughs> so um, this is something that, that you valued much higher in the early state of the design process, whereas I um, would be willing to take these these parts a little bit longer with me uh, on the journey and um, take care of uh, the problems maybe a little bit later in the design process. So that is the difference, I think. Yeah, I think hearing your story of that, it sounds to me absolutely horrible, you know, to just put a bunch of different stuff into a game and put it in front of playtesters if I already know that a bunch of it will probably suck. So, But I think it's an extremely efficient way of designing, which is something I learned from you. So rather than me as a designer trying to guess in my head what is good or not, to actually try the stuff out, you can quite quickly see what works and what doesn't. Um, I think from a personality point of view, it's, uh, you know, it's uncomfortable for me to to make a, a prototype which I know is not that good, but I will be I know I will be able to learn from it and put that in front of people and tell them to play it. I don't I will ooh, I will feel bad inside <laughs> because of course I want to present them with a great game, but that's very hard to do in the early stages. Yeah, absolutely. And I all uh, I did that with my with with my closest friends and I explained them what I'm going to do so they were aware that it might not be the best game they have played ever. Yeah, so. I but I think it's a good strategy and you can get a lot of out of it. It's uh, it's much more efficient rather than trying something. And then if it doesn't work, trying something else, if you can try several things at once, but ooh, it, it, it doesn't feel good to me. <laughs> yeah, and I think we had this these situations while we were designing Duelist as well. We were at some point in time, we were in a situation where you thought that um, all of it was horrible and nothing works yes. well together. And... Um, I was still confident because I thought, yeah, there are some things in there that that cause problems, but I think we can just cut cut a few of them and it will be fine. Um, and you were um, more I was a little so bit frustrated. Frustrated, I was, yes. I was. It was late at night. I came home at around midnight after a playtest, and I thought, oh, this game just sucks. It was was much better like four months ago before we tried all this weird stuff. I just wanted all to go away and the game to be nice again. <laughs> And to be honest, we did we did um, we cut a whole a whole lot from the game. So I would say we we tried maybe I don't know the exact number, but maybe thirty keywords or so. Yes. And in the end, we uh, we have a game that I think has five or 
five keywords probably. Yes, uh, I think so. And um, yeah, but the, the remaining 25 keywords, um, some of them are just a little bit more complicated than we were comfortable with, and some are just a um, little, just didn't work at all, and others are fine, and we just uh, cut them because we wanted a very clean uh, first version. And we can definitely come back to those keywords when we, um, if and when we design um, expansions for our game. But I have to admit, even though you know I wanted all that stuff to go away, looking back on it now, I will say that we really learned a lot, and now we also have a lot of, uh, I mean, for example, if we're doing expansions, we already know which keywords would work, which would not. Okay, this one could work, but it's pretty complicated, so we want to combine that with this one. So we, we've learned a ton. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And um, before we before we dive into the, into the game, um, I wanted to mention that all of this was only possible because both of us really reached out to other people and yeah, we were both joining this mastermind group um and um yeah expressed our interest in in cooperation and um this game would not uh, exist in in the way it does today if we would not have reached out so um i'm still a big fan of um of cooperation of communities uh, of working together and i think this is a very great example of how things can turn out yeah definitely I would say, so one more thing on the topic of our different design styles is I have, you know, in your podcast, you always say you're an ambitious game designer. You're creating this uh, big adventure card game. And I have to say, I have a ton of respect for that. Um, so for me, I guess, you know, because I want stuff to work immediately and not be a big mess, it's it would be very hard to create something like that. And I would be very discouraged when I tried something and it doesn't work. So my projects are mainly fairly small contained games with kind of simple rules because those are the things that I can actually get a nice uh, overview of in my head and imagine how they will work and then they actually work like I imagined it. That is actually a very great transition to um, to explaining our game, The Duelist, because um, you just mentioned that your games are more simple and easily to um, to understand. And um, this was one part of our design goal for this game as well. But um, there's also um, the other the other part um, that we had as a design goal, and that was um, that we wanted a game that is um, also quite deep and allows for a lot of um, yeah, engaging gameplay and um, is also very skill-based and allows for different tactics. And um, combining those two design goals um, really was what what we were do, we were do, trying to do, and it was not always easy. We wanted a, a really a fast-paced, simple to learn game with easy rules um, that is still very engaging and tactical and has a lot of depth. Um, yes, that sounds pretty hard. And yes. immediately when you give that description, I would think of like an abstract game. You know, these uh, abstracts like uh, Go or Hex or Dots and Boxes or Chess or whatever you like to play, they have simple rules. They can be pretty short. Uh, some of them are longer. They can be super engaging and deep and thinky. Um, so they have these nice properties, but they can also be a little bit dry and boring theme-wise. You know, they are called abstracts and they often have just pieces in black and white or something like this. So here I felt the challenge was combining those nice properties from the abstract games with the kind of spice and 
cool special powers you get from dueling card games. Yeah, because we both we both like those games, but if you if you I mean if you give magic or a similar kind of game to to a new player who has never played these kind of games, it is quite challenging to to learn the game for those people. And um, I mean, I think we can explain our game in in five minutes or so, even to people who are not as familiar with uh, with uh, trading card games, for example. Yeah, I think that's doable. Um, so um, yeah, let's let's start talking a little bit about. Um, about about the game so um let me let me give you a short overview of it so the game really to make it simple um you came up with the idea to have only one card type um, and um, this card type is creatures uh, we do not have spells like instants and sorceries and magic for example we do not have um other permanent effects like enchantments or artifacts or whatever uh, kind of card types uh, you have. And we also do not have uh, a resource um, that you have to build through the game. So it's yes. not, not, not something you have to ramp up to um, to play your crazy powerful cards. In our game, you can play the most powerful and craziest card in your first turn if you want to. Um, you might lose if you do that, but you could do it. Um, and... Um, these uh, this card type, these creatures, they're actually fairly simple as well. They only have one value. They only have a power value. No power and toughness, no, um, I don't know, other attributes like, uh, I don't know, speed, armor, um, or whatsoever. Um, only one, one value, and that is power. And um, you play the game in, in the sense that, or how you set up the game is that you draw seven cards, um, to your hand, and that is your entire um, set of cards that you play the game with. You have seven cards in hand. And um, you also have um, life points. Um, they are currently still uh, called life points. Um, and you draw um, four cards as life points. You do not draw them to your hand. You put them on the table face, uh, face down. So you do not see the, those cards. You only see the back of the cards. And they represent your life points. And yeah. The goal of the game really is to um, reduce the opponent's life points to to zero. This is how the game how the game works. Um, and Christian, do you want to want to take over and explain um, a little bit the kind of actions every player has per turn, what he can do or she can do? Yeah, yes, yeah, sure. So, so we want to make the game very simple. So instead of having a bunch of faces on your turn, we want that you do just one thing. So on your turn, you can either play a card from your hand, which is a creature, or you can attack with one creature that you have in play. And I think this is a bit different from how such games usually works. Usually you do some kind of playing one card and then attacking with all your creatures. But to keep everything simple, we want to say just either play one card or attack with one card that you already have in play. And when you attack with a card, the opponent can choose to either take the hit, so they lose a life, if they lose all four lives, they lose the games. Or they can choose to block your creature. If they block, then the two creatures fight. And fighting just means comparing power values. Whoever has the larger power value survives. Whoever has the smaller power value dies and goes to the discard pile. Um, so it's extremely simple and streamlined combat. Um, so the largest twist in the game comes from playing the cards. So you mentioned there's nothing like a mana or something like this in the game. 
instead we have a system which is currently called diamonds. Each player has two diamonds that they can spend during the game. And the way they spend, you spend them is when you play a card, if the opponent thinks that's a really good card you played, they can spend a diamond, and instead of you getting that creature, your opponent will get that creature. So think about that for a second. You have two diamonds to spend during the game. So let's say I, on my first turn, play my most powerful card. Well, my opponent can spend a diamond and steal that card. So now it works for them instead of for me. You could say they bribe the creature with the diamond. And so this forces some kind of balance in the game that you can sort of only play somewhat strong cards in the beginning. And then the flow will naturally ramp up because your opponent will play something stronger. You want to play something stronger. And at key points in the game, you can say, okay, this card my opponent plays, it just has such a big effect that I would like to take that for myself. You can do it two times in the game. And, and those are the rules. Yeah, and I, when, I, when, I, when you first explained this basic concept to me, um, I have to be honest, I was skeptical because uh, I really... I am someone who really enjoys these deep tactical games like like Magic, where you, where I go deep into the tanks and think five minutes about about the next uh, the next uh, turn or so. And with these simple and streamlined rules, I mean, there's only one card type, no resource, one attribute, and combat is just comparing com uh, comparing these two attributes. For me, it it sounded too simple, so I was skeptical. <laughs> I was skeptical. Um, And then we played the game and actually I was quite deep in the tank thinking about what to do next um, <laughs> because these diamonds, they they work like crazy. I have uh, I have never seen a um, um, some kind of mechanic that sounds so simple but has such an immediate and huge impact on the game, how you play. Um, and that is something that is really difficult to explain with the words, um, I find. Um, it's something you really can um, experience when you play the game. And um, I really I really like it because you have to think about stuff like, okay, when I play this, this creature now and the opponent steals it, do I have an answer for that creature in still in hand? So if you play your most powerful creature... You can do that easily in turn one if you have an answer on your, uh, or maybe two answers in your hand, um, to react on it when your opponent steals it from you. Um, and this is also one thing that we found out while playtesting, for example, that um, when someone uses a diamond and steals a card from you, um, you you get another action. You can you can play another card or um, attack with one of your creatures. And in the first version, we didn't have that, and um, It was always the right, or most of the time, the right thing to do to steal cards early and be ahead in the game. And by giving players the um, another action, when a card was stolen from them, um, we we managed actually to make it not always the right the right thing to do to to, to spend your diamonds aggressively and play aggressively. You can also um, keep keep your diamonds uh, for longer during the game and um, yeah, spend some late. Yeah, I see that sometimes when, when we play, we end up going the whole game and no one spent any diamonds. And you think, well, then the diamonds didn't do anything. But in fact, on every single turn, people are thinking about, okay, if I play this, the opponent could spend a diamond, so I have to deal with it. Or maybe the opponent thinks, okay, 
since he's playing this, he must have an answer in hand, so I don't want to spend the diamond to take it. So they really add a lot to think about. And, um, I mean, we said the cards are quite quite simple, but um, they actually have a little bit more going on than just the power value. Um, and um, let's talk a little bit about that also. Um, so the power value is always between 1 and 10, um, 10 being the, the most powerful um, creature that we have in the game. And they typically have other things going on, like um, keywords that you know from other card games, like uh, triggers, like um, that only um, define when something happens, and then effects that always come with a trigger um, that uh, then uh, take place when the trigger actually is resolved. And um, there are also sometimes we have some kind of conditions that need to be met. Um, so that um, the effect goes into place. So let me explain a little bit what, uh, what these four um, components of card design um, are and how we, we use them. So let's start with the, with the keywords. Um, you probably all know keywords from other card games. Um, they are used as some kind of um, abbreviation for um, a larger part of the rules um, so that it's easy to uh, once you have understood the rule for the first time it's easy to um, to read and to learn what the card actually does to see it with one um, one view so we have um, four five of these uh, keywords in our game um, and they are called what do we have we have um, for example poisonous um, and poisonous means that the creature when they when it fights another creature it always kills the other creature. So what you would do, you would compare the power values and um, the creature with the smaller power value would die. But let's say the smaller creature also has uh, poisonous, it would mean that the larger creature also dies. So this is uh, one keyword that, yeah, you can you can use it on, on smaller creatures to make them um, to make them a threat. They may, might have a, a low power value, but they are still a threat for the game. And um, another keyword, for example, that we have, have is, um, is tough. And tough means that the creature does not die uh, when it is killed the first time. So you do not have to put it into your discard pile. You, it remains on the, on the battlefield. You have to rotate it by 90 degrees. So you have to exhaust it or tap it or call it uh, however you want. But um, it pretty much means that the creature has two life points before it dies. Um, also, this give, gives us new design space to um, to make creatures that are um, a little bit more difficult for the opponent to deal with. Um, then we have a double hitter, which means that when the creature um, actually hits the opponent, it deals not only one damage, but two damage. And to be honest, Christian, I'm actually not sure. We do not have it in the current version, do we? I think we removed it with. No, uh, we, I think we exchanged we it with frenzy. The, yeah. Yes, yes. So, do you want to explain frenzy, what frenzy does? Yes, sure. So, double hitter was something you could put on a big creature in order to force the opponent to actually block it, um, because if they don't block it, you take two damage. So, what we ended up using instead was uh, we're calling it frenzy right now, although I guess we should call it something like double attack. Um, which is instead that you can simply attack twice. 
So if you don't block it, it has a similar effect that you, uh, when you attack, if your opponent doesn't block, they take a damage, you can attack again. If they don't block, they take a damage. So they take two damage if they don't block. Um, but if they do block, for example, with just some small creature that they don't care about, um, you actually still get to attack again. So you will have to block with two small creatures in order to avoid the damage. So it allows bigger creatures to put on a bit more pressure. It was in the early version a bit too easy to just stall them by having some small creatures, maybe even with tough, so they have two lives and they can sort of block for ages. Um, in this version, you're under a bit more of a clock if there's a big guy with frenzy knocking on your door. Exactly. And um, maybe you want also to explain why we ended up with um, with the keyword um, sneaky instead of um, unblockable. Yes. So in the early version of the game, we had unblockable, which is very simple. The name says what it is. It cannot be blocked. So whenever it attacks, the opponent loses one life. And in this game, you only have four lives. You can attack once each turn. So as soon as unblockable creatures hit the table in the earlier version, the game was over pretty soon. And I thought this would be okay because, I mean, if you play an unblockable creature, the opponent could steal it. So you would somehow have to be ready for that. So I still thought, okay, it's still pretty fair. Um, but the players were not enjoying it very much. I think this was one we changed based on playtesting. And also, I guess you had this feeling about it all the time that it was the game somehow became too inevitable and too defined by these unblockable creatures who just did one damage every single turn. One, two, three, four, game over. So we ended up um, using the keyword sneaky instead, which means when you're sneaky, you are unblockable except by other sneaky creatures. So it worked similarly to Airborne in Magic or Elusive in Legends of Rune Terror. Um, so it means you're still kind of unblockable, but there is counterplay to that because other sneaky creatures can block you. And it ended up having, um, it just played out much nicer. You still got the effect. You could have a small guy who was sneaky who could keep hitting, but then the other guy could, could play a sneaky creature instead um, to defend. Yeah, and I, I, we also thought about getting rid of unblockable completely or these kind of effects. But um, again, it does really something for you as a designer. It creates additional design space if you have any form of evasion for smaller creatures. Um, because you can create creatures with a lower power value that still are a big threat on the battlefield that can end the game. Um, and that is uh, actually something that I consider very interesting i like that um, because also it gives you um, the opportunity not only to create um, these threats but also different kinds of answers for these threats for example i can create a card that um, kills a small creature um, so it would uh, take care of these unblockable or sneaky creatures um, but it does not take care of these big double Uh, hitter or frenzy creatures so um, this is actually something that um, I really really like um, because um, yeah, it, it opens up a lot of design space for you yes I think so one thing I was quite afraid of in this uh, in this design was big numbers so you mentioned that each creature has just a single number which is the power 
and I was afraid that the guys with the big power would just dominate the game. Um, so it was quite important to have keywords such as poisonous and sneaky, which allow the the smaller creatures to actually put up a fight. I think poisonous is and that's just a really nice keyword. If you have a small creature with poisonous, it can kill any big creature, but it will also die itself. So it will never dominate the game, but it will provide an answer um, to, to these big threats. Absolutely. And I mean, it's not the super innovative kind of keyword. Most of the of the big card games have similar effects. Yes. Um, but it shows why why it is, it is a, it does really something for the game that you need. You need uh, smaller creatures to be some kind of threat for the larger creatures as well sometimes. And um, we didn't mention that, but we do not have persistent damage in our game. So um, and we do not have double blocking, for example. So two uh, power three creatures will always lose against one power four creature. So um, that means if I attack you in one turn with my, my power four creature you block with uh, with your power three creature and it dies and next turn i do the same thing again and you have to block with your other power three creature or can block with it and it would die also um, and my creature would still live because there is no damage that is uh, taken from one turn to the not to to the next one yes i um, think because because of this no persistent damage which is i guess fairly standard and well some have it and some don't but i think it's fairly standard um, and also just the yeah the single value you don't have any kind of trading where you're like okay he's a 5-3 but i can trade with a 3-1 and get a good trade it was just straight up the numbers no there was no benefit when your guy lost the combat so that's why we really needed them and we actually forgot to talk about one of our keywords um and that keyword is hunter and yes. um, that is also a keyword that uh, can help you to take care of uh, of a threat um, what it does is it means when you attack with a creature that has the keyword hunter, um, it means that you can choose um, with which creature the opponent has to block. So let's say the creature uh, the opponent has is pressuring you with one of uh, these uh, smaller sneaky creatures. Um, you can attack with one of your hunters with maybe a bigger um, a bigger power value and um, take care of that. So that's still a way for, for, for us to to create some kind of answer in form of a creature that is not a spell. Yes, I think uh, the Honda was an important part of making sort of like a rock, paper, scissors ecosystem. So you can imagine you have small creatures with some sort of powerful abilities that can really dominate the game. And then you have these medium-sized Hondas, which can kill the smaller creatures. And then you have the very big double hitters which can kill the hunters, but which are dominated by the tiny creatures with powerful abilities. So in that way, you could ensure that everything had kind of an answer. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about these powerful abilities you just mentioned, because I think these are probably, besides the diamonds, the most interesting part of the game. And um, what I mean by that is the what the diamonds do for the game. They they add some kind of auto-balancing. So that that means we do not need some kind of resource as we as we explained in the beginning. So um, we do not need the game to, to ramp up so that you can play the powerful things because the opponent can always take it with a diamond. And that also means the cards do not really need to be... We do not really need um, weak cards um, and medium-sized uh, cards or powerful cards and very powerful cards. 
that you can play um, right up in your mana curve, for example. So our cards, are, most of them are crazy powerful. Um, and the effects that they have, which we did not mention yet, but we will mention soon, um, are also really powerful. Uh, like, for example, um, let me give you an example. Um, we have a card that when you play it, it lets, uh, lets you draw your entire discard pile. Um, and for, if you think about that from another uh, game's perspective, this would give you can give you a huge uh, card advantage, which um, oftentimes would win you the game almost on the spot in a game like Magic, for example. And um, what I always see when I playtest the game is uh, one of the uh, players plays a card and the others are just sitting there, the, oh my god, this is crazy powerful, how can I beat that? <laughs> yeah? And they play these cards in the first or second turn, so you there is no ramping up, it's just it's directly starting, and um, then they realize, oh, okay, I can take that with my diamond. Whoa, nice, I take it. And then they see, oh, damn, there was an answer for that, because there's an answer in this game for this card. And because all of these cards have crazy powerful abilities, and they really do not need to be completely balanced, because, um, yeah, you always have to have to consider the, this diamond from your opponent that he or she can just steal the card from you. And um, that's actually something that we also, I think, both really enjoyed when we created this game, that we can go a little bit crazy with the effects. And the game never really broke. It never really broke. It was uh, so robust that we could uh, could add a lot of crazy stuff to the game, and it still felt kind of balanced when we played the game. Yeah, that definitely made it really fun to design the game, because you could just come up with some crazy stuff and put it in the game, and it would... 95% of the time it would work no problem. Yeah, and um, I, I already mentioned that um, how we design these effects. So um, these effects oftentimes have a, a trigger. And the triggers are in our game, um, there is a play trigger. So it the effect immediately happens when you play the card. Um, for example, it could be um, play the card, draw your entire discard pile. But we also have other triggers that need a little bit more um, work before before you get the effect. For example, we have triggers that uh, trigger when the creature dies. So you, uh, if you attack with it, your opponent has some kind of the has the the choice whether uh, he or she wants to block it so it dies, or uh, maybe let it through and take the hit um, because the effect might be too strong that's on the card. And that's an interesting decision from my perspective. And we also have uh, triggers that um, um, happen when the when the creature attacks. And we have uh, triggers that are, oh, it's actually, it's not a trigger. We have permanent effects. Um, for example, all allies gain plus two power, for example. This would be a, um, a permanent effect, um, uh, a permanent trigger and an effect. And yeah, these... Uh, Triggers always come with some kind of effect, and this effect could be, um, let's take a very simple example, kill a creature. Um, so you could have a card that says, um, on play, kill a creature. So when you play it, you could decide which kind of creature you want to kill from your opponent. But you could have a similar card that says, um, dice, kill a creature. So it means when it dies, it, it kills target creature that you can choose. Or it can could be super powerful and do the same thing on attack. So... If you and then you can immediately uh, 
think about stuff that you could do. You could create a power one creature, for example, that would always die when it attacks, but on attack it would uh, get the, the effect kill target creature. Um, so these kind of uh, combinations of triggers, effects, and keywords um, make these cards very interesting and um, I think in our case, for our game, crazy powerful. And one more thing that we have um, that I thought was very important for the game are conditions um, and conditional cards. Um, let me briefly explain what I mean by that. Um, so when we playtested the game, there was uh, one card that immediately um, stood out for me, and that was uh, the Yeti. And um, the reason why it, it stood out to me was because it was um, not a symmetric card. So it was more or less asymmetrical. Um, it, when, it was very powerful for my opponent when, when, when he played it, but it was kind of super weak for me um, if I would spend a diamond on it. And these are the most interesting cards in the game. Um, for example, in the case of the Yeti, it, I think it was um, something like, uh, from, from the effect side, it was something like, if you do not have another ally, so if it is the only creature that you have on the battlefield, it gets plus, I don't know, plus six power and is unblockable also. So it basically becomes this unbeatable, unblockable threat. Um, but if I would take it with a diamond and I still I already have a, a creature on the battlefield, it would just be a power three creature or so um, and would not do anything on my side. But I would have to spend the diamond uh, just to not lose the game to it. And these kind of asymmetrical cards um, have turned out to be very interesting in, in the game. Yes, they are quite fun. It's sort of always very satisfying to play a card which does something great for you, but doesn't do that much for your opponent and watch them as they are sweating over if they should take it to just prevent you from getting it, even though they will not get something super cool out of it. And I think in the case of the Yeti, it was a fun example because I think it was in our first test and I remember you actually took the card and then you had this Yeti, which didn't do a lot as long as you had another creature. But then you started just attacking aggressively with the other creature. And if I would block it and kill it, then you would get this powerful Yeti. It put me in quite the dilemma, even though the Yeti didn't actually do anything yet. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I love the design of the Yeti. Um, I think we still have it in the game in <laughs> yes, we do. A, a little bit different way because we got rid of the unblockable, but it still becomes the um, this very powerful beast if you um, happen to have it alone. Yeah, and that's how we really... Um, yeah, worked through the game. We uh, we understood that these asymmetrical effects are very fun. That we need these threats um, as well as answers, and that we need these kind of conditional cards that you have to to work for. That you have to 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 plan your entire um, game plan around. Um, and also, what we what we realized while playtesting is that it is really interesting if you can plan several turns ahead and think about what your opponent might do so that you have an answer for the cards that you are self-playing. So you need to, to think about, can I afford to play that card and what happens when my opponent takes it? This is the thing you will constantly think about and um, you will come up with a plan or a, an order of play for your cards so that you um, 
most of the time have an answer for for what you play and um, um, yeah, create a game plan. And this is what this what makes this game really fun. And um, yeah, one more thing that I think we didn't mention in the beginning while we were talking about the game is um, what happens when you lose a life. So um, we didn't really mention that, Christian. Do you want to want to explain that concept? Because I think it's also very yeah. streamlined. Yeah, sure. So you have these four cards face down on the table representing your lives. And when you hit and you lose a life, you take one of them into your hand. So it gives, so it's a little bit of a comeback mechanism. You know, you get a little bit of hope. If your opponent has something terrifying on the table, you cannot deal with. Uh, maybe you can draw something there which can help you deal with it. And remember, during the game, you don't actually draw new cards. Your starting hand is basically all the cards you're going to get. Um, so these extra lives, they're really. Uh, one of your only lifelines to get out of if you get into a bad situation. Um, this mechanism I've seen, I think, in, for the first time in the Pokemon trading card game where it works the other way around. There you have six prizes and whenever you defeat an opponent, you get to draw a prize. So there it's actually the person who's, who's aggressive who gets rewarded. Um, where in, in our case, we are rewarding the player who, who lost the life to give them a chance to come back. Yeah, and I really, really like that. Um, it feels, it feels just good if you if you get a little bit of new resources when you are when you are behind. And yes, I think yeah. it was, I think it was used actually exactly in that way in Duel Masters, the old trading card game. But I don't want to take any credit for coming up with it. Yeah. Um, I think I still think it's a very good um, a good mechanic and um, it does a lot uh, a lot for the game because um, you do not really need anything except the eleven cards per player at the moment. Um, yes, so that's no tokens, no no dice, nothing, and um, you can just you do not have to to build a deck before you start. It's just take out the, the pile of cards um, distributed between the players and start playing. And um, all of the games feel very different. And um, um, yeah, it's just, it's a very elegant designer from my perspective. Yeah, that was uh, that was one thing I really like also that you don't have to, uh, you know, write down your life on a piece of paper or have a die nearby. I understand it can be necessary. But so here the choice is, you know, a creature always just does one damage to you no matter if it has 10 attack or 4 attack, it's just one damage and you have these four lives. Um, so it changes the dynamic a little bit, um, but it's also sort of fun that the small creatures then still can do significant damage. It has this fun effect that you get an additional card. And for me, the biggest benefit is not keeping track of life externally. Yeah, and yeah, that's actually Duelist, our current project. And um, we are in currently in blind playtesting in the blind playtesting phase. So we created a lot of different cards in the past, tested a lot of them. Um, so Christian did his painting painting thing, creating uh, the small uh, the small first version. I did the sculpting part afterwards. Added a lot of a lot of stupid stuff to it, and then cut it again. Uh, and in the end, we um, we ended up with uh, with a 50 card version of the game. 
um, which we are currently currently playtesting. So if you are interested in um, trying out this game, playing it, um, and giving us feedback, which would be very much appreciated, um, just reach out to me. Um, you can reach me at um, marvin at nerdlikeaboss.com and I will be um, either... Uh, send you a print and uh, print and play version or a tabletop simulator version or you could also um, join our um, play testing event which will happen on um, sunday september 20th um, i will link it in the show notes where we will play um, different games from the community and you will also be able to to play duelist um, there as well so um with regards to the future of duelist um our plan is to release the game in, uh, I would say, mid next year. So uh, spring or summer next year would be would be our current timeline to to publish the, to publish this game. And we would be extremely grateful if some of you are willing to play test. Um, so one, I think, a bit unusual thing about this game is that the rules are extremely simple. I would say same complexity as, for example, Star Realms. But we still really want the game to hold up to serious tournament play. So if you are new to these kind of card games or if you are an experienced uh, tournament players for many years, both these inputs are extremely valuable to us. Yeah, actually, that is something that I also wanted to talk, talk about with, with you because I was trying to... Um, to define our target audience and it was quite difficult to me because i think the game can be for both um, new and unexperienced players of these uh, tactical card game genre and it can i also i played it a lot with people um, who are very familiar with um, magic hearthstone rune terror and uh, these kind of games um, and they also enjoyed it. And the best comment that I received from someone was um, we were playtesting play um, Duelist for a few rounds. And then in the evening, we played Keyforge. Um, and that person said um, that he felt that he had many more choices and interesting decisions to make in Duelist. Um, even so, in Keyforge, he had way more cards and complexity so this was exactly what we are shooting for we were shooting for a game that is really simple but has a lot of tactical depths and options for the players um and yeah, it's amazing to yeah. hear yeah i'm still not uh and i'm still not ent um, entirely sure um if our main target audience is uh are the new players or the the players that are very familiar with these kind of games so um if if, if you are in actually kind yeah? of a it's actually kind of a weird problem to have, you know, you, I <laughs> yes. mean, because I mean, of course you can say like, oh, look, our games, it can both uh, be fun for novices and experienced players. But, you know, every game designer will say that their game is easy to learn and hard to master. Um, so it's, <laughs> it, it's kind of better to actually have a, a target audience. But in this case, I, I really think the game will appeal to both these groups and everything in between. Yeah, cool. So if you want to play test the game, just reach out um, to me or um, to Christian. So if you um, want to play it, we will definitely be there for you explaining the game or sending you the version. Um, yeah, and we will be very grateful. 
Is there anything else you want to mention about the the game at the moment or our cooperation, Christian, before we close this uh, this session today? Mm, so, so one last thing would be to kind of zoom out to a game is, of course, it's very interesting to design, but if you actually want to get a game published, I think it's also extremely useful to think about it as a product. Um, so in this case, for example, uh, thinking about this as a product meant that we're thinking, okay, it would be nice if this can consist of only cards because that gives us a lot of flexibility in packaging and it's quite cheap to produce cards. And so we decided, for example, there's not uh, damage that stays on the board and there's no uh, kind of extra tokens you put on stuff to mark things. These choices come from, I mean, they are inspired by product design. You're thinking, okay, this is, I want this to be a product which fits in this kind of box and it's only cards, but they do influence your design a lot and can inspire a lot of creativity to think about how you can achieve stuff with these constraints that you set up for yourself. Absolutely. I agree. And um, I'm pretty happy that this game is, um, I would say, easy to produce and also quite easy to market. So um, I'm very confident that we will we will bring this to, to players' hands in the next year. Oh, that would be amazing. Awesome, Christian. Thank you very much for, for being um, yeah, my co-designer here and guest on the show today. It was more like a conversation and not, uh, not an interview. And I really enjoyed that. And um, I hope the listeners did too. If you have any questions, read out, reach out to us and um, we are more than happy to, um, to answer. Thanks a lot for having me as a guest. And I hope I can come back another time. Yeah, of course. Um, at the latest, when Unleashed will be uh, will be published, and we will talk about your other design. Yes. <laughs> okay. So goodbye, everyone, and until next week, keep shooting for the moon and nerd like a boss. <laughs>